Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we are joined by what I would essentially call the co-hosts of our our sister, our our cousin niece nephew nibbling uh progeny maybe yeah uh podcast uh we're joined by ben feynman and carrie wita from very bad therapy and if you haven't listened to their podcast yet totally have to it's so good it's something where i'm i'm really kind of jealous of the concept that they came up with because it's such a brilliant idea of being modern therapists who really look at the ills that can happen in the therapeutic process, bringing in a number of experts who talk about what went wrong and how things maybe could have gone better. And they're doing this as grad students, which is really kind of a phenomenal way of being modern therapists before they're actually real therapists. Not that you guys aren't real here, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. We're they're real people. They just have a <laughs> exactly therapist, totally. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today, Ben and Carrie. Thank you so much for having us, you guys. Happy yeah, thank to be you. Here. It's great to be here. Yeah, and we're all in the same room. It's kind of fun. Let's start with how you guys came together for this idea, because from some of the reviews that I'm seeing online, some of the you know Apple iTunes comments that we see is that my favorite one is the one that's like, this has been so needed, and it took grad students to actually think of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where did you start with this idea? I mean, it kind of goes back on, and this is not this is not just to, because you guys have been so gracious to have us on the show, but it goes back to your podcast. Um, yeah, I personally, I mean, this is how how Ben and I ended up meeting. I started listening to your show before I even started grad school. I got accepted. I knew I was going to start the program, and I thought, well, I should really like, what can I do ahead of time to like get started? And so I started listening to podcasts, and yours was one of the first that I started listening to and was really awesome. And I just started learning so much. It, it gave me such a great frame of reference to begin learning about the field. And so I think I had reached out to you with a question. Um, I can't even remember what it was at this point, but I'd emailed you, Kurt, about something. And you had said, well, why don't you come meet up with me for coffee? We'll talk it out. And I did. And you were so gracious. And you spent so much time talking to me, answering my questions about the field. And on my way out, you're like, oh, I have a, I have another meeting. Uh, I was leaving as this gentleman, Ben Feynman, was <laughs> arriving. And uh, it turned out Ben was also a listener. And take it, take it away, Ben. Yeah, I had reached out to Kurt because I think it was February of 2018. 
the two of you had uh, talked a lot about the idea of deliberate practice on one of your episodes, and you had also talked about some of Scott Miller's ideas in previous episodes, and I realized that what I was hearing on your podcast was in a lot of ways different from what I was learning in graduate school. And you had spoken to the idea of like that this is a needed thing in our field, and it took grad students to figure it out. I think what happens in our field, just from my kind of my perspective of somebody who's very new and looking around, is people just assume that the path that's laid out for you is the right path, and that you just have to follow these steps, and you'll get better as a therapist, and you'll get licensed, and everything will be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case in a lot of ways, and the ideas that the two of you talk about on the podcast kind of go outside of that traditional idea of like what we should be as therapists. And uh, so what Carrie and I do is we speak with guests about their experiences of bad therapy. And we don't really hear in the field from people who don't have good experiences. We don't get trained in what happens when therapy goes wrong. And so the reason why Carrie and I ended up connecting was because we both kind of had a parallel process of appreciating what the two of you were doing, which is looking at similar themes that aren't necessarily part of our initial training and kind of wondering like what else is out there that may have validity or may even contradict some of the ideas that a lot of people take for granted in our field. So if you want to meet up with another listener, invite me out to coffee (laughs) and you can have a podcast of your own. Kurt is a matchmaker. (laughs) Kurt is so proud of this connection. (laughs) It's very awesome. But besides the fact that I'm kind of blushing here, I think that it's something where to me, what you're really talking about is the two of you sought out additional kind of perspective and education. You also have really looked at how do I think about this critically? Right. Because I think the this kind of this path being laid out for you and just following it, I think to me is really easy. That's easy education, right? And I, I, I think back to the time when I was going through supervision and then when I was supervising and managing supervisors like people would be so upset if they had to change supervisors or if they had to to do something because then i won't know what to think or or it's too confusing or you know i'm trying to learn how this a way to do it it's like wait a second (laughs) like there's not one way to do it but i think Mm -hmm. there's it gets so easy to get into that place of this is how it is and so it's really kind of radical that you guys found that before really kind of practically digging into sitting in the chair. I feel bad for like my cohort, my colleagues who are in the same area where I am are just starting out because we are handed this and said, this is the way to do it. Like you don't, you, you, you don't know what you're doing. You won't know what you're doing. Just trust the process, go slow. I cannot tell you how many times I hear go slow as <laughs> uh, as just like a panacea for just everything in this field. Go slow, just follow the process. It's going to take a while. Go to lots of trainings. There is this, we are told when we enter the field by kind of the status quo that it, you just do what those who have done before you have done and you'll get there they're being completely undefined. And for a lot of people, I think who are, I don't know, maybe Ben and I just have a, more of a sense of like, that doesn't sound right um, <laughs> than most people. But like, I think a lot of people are just told, sit down, shut up and just follow the path. And that's unfortunate. That's mm-hmm. what makes me angry, especially sitting in, in my graduate classes where I see that happening. Somebody might have a question that I know goes to what you guys speak about, what Ben and I talk about on the show, something to the effect of like, you know, they'll have a question, a legitimate question about, does that really work? Or what if this? And I will know 
there are other answers. And I will hear the professor say, oh, this commonly accepted. And that shuts it down. It shuts down inquiry. It shuts down conversation around it. And I see happening this other, this, this new therapist, just like me, who has now been like, oh, that's the answer. Easy. Okay. To sort of frame why Karen, I feel like it's important to challenge the status quo. We both, before we even met, had come across similar like outcome research about psychotherapy. And there's a lot of mythology in our field that we all just take for granted. Mm -hmm. And that guides the path forward and guides just doing what everybody says you're supposed to do. But there is an abundance of research that says that you don't get better as a therapist as a function of experience. Right. Like on average, a therapist with the amount of experience that Carrie and I have are just as good as a therapist with the amount of experience that the two of you have, Kurt and Katie. And that's not to say that we are as good of <laughs> no, therapists well, as you are. But on average, supervisors are just as effective as their supervisees. Mm -hmm. And this is shocking. And nobody tells you this. Nobody tells you that every single empirically supported treatment is just as effective as every other empirically supported treatment on average. There's all these mythologies about the field that we buy into. And then that guides our work. And it stops us from being curious. It stops us from saying, what can I do differently to get better as a therapist? It stops us from being curious about what actually helps our clients in aggregate and then our, each of our individual clients, mm -hmm. because we just assume that the way things are, are the way they're supposed to be. And like wrapped up in all of this mythology is the fact that half of our clients on average don't get better in therapy. And I think the statistic is like, if you survey therapists, they'll say about three quarters of their clients show improvement. So we don't have an awareness that our clients are not getting better. And so we don't know how to adjust what we're doing in therapy. And Carrie and I just wanted to talk to those clients who don't get better or talk to the clients who get worse because of harmful therapy and say, what is going on here? So we can actually look at the research, bring on guest experts and actually get better as therapists because otherwise we're probably not going to. Mm -hmm. I love challenging the status quo and therefore love what you're doing because I don't know, I'm, I'm a born rabble rouser, but... <laughs> Wait, wait. Can, if you say that you're a rabble rouser, does that actually like delegitimize that you're a rabble rouser? I'm taking back the term for my people. Sounds good. All right. All right. Continue. Wow. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. 
Carrie was one of the people who was on our live podcast at the Therapy Reimagined Conference, our episode, Defining the Therapy Movement. And I asked this of her at the time. And so we, we've got her answer on record. But so you can, you <laughs> oh, can, no. You can, you can sit back and relax Great, a little bit got it. while, we, while so, we grill your co-host. Great. <laughs> and she's speaking about this a little bit, even in her experience in the classroom right now. But going through your education and balancing out what's the right answer to give in the classroom versus doing all of this extra work that you've done and knowing that there's other answers. How do you handle that? Because this is a a freedom that for a lot of the people in the therapeutic community that we talk to, it's, it's a place that they don't arrive to until after all of the hoops that they have to jump through for their pre-licensed experience or licensing experience. Maybe not even until they really start getting out into developing their identity as a private practitioner. But this has to be so frustrating to sit with, I know more than what's being taught. <laughs> Boy, I, I don't want to just like blindly agree with that idea because I, I, I feel a, a, a lot of respect for my professors. But just to go back a bit, when, when Karen and I first met, we'd meet for lunch like once a month and ended up talking for three hours uh, before we had a, the idea of starting a podcast about the same themes. And we felt so confused that only the two of us were having these conversations. We didn't know where there was a community discussing like these ideas around outcome research and around what happens when clients aren't getting better and what can we do to get better as therapists. And what we're finding is that now that we have a bit of a public voice, people are contacting us saying the same things. Like, I didn't realize that other people had these same ideas and I don't understand why my program doesn't focus on them. I mean, I'm, I'm finishing up my, my master's degree and it is truly frustrating because as Carrie said, sometimes you'll hear things professors say and you know that there is very credible replicated research that contradicts the things that professors are saying because there are mythologies in our field that in some ways hinder our development, but we buy into because it's what people, you know, it's what our professors were taught when they were coming up. It makes me think of something that Dr. Ben Caldwell said. We had him on our show a little while back. I know he's a a big fan of the podcast and works with the two of you in a lot of contexts. And he's been on one and a half times. (laughs) (laughs) He, He used the term failed paradigm, that the field of psychotherapy right now is kind of in a failed paradigm. And I mean, psychotherapy is very effective. I think the statistic is that like 80% of people who receive therapy show better outcomes than people who do not. But it's been that way for 40 years. We're not getting better as a field. And that's the aspect of this that is a failed paradigm. But we repeat the same ideas over and over and over again. And it's, it's deeply frustrating to see the people who are guiding the next generation of clinicians not be on the cutting edge of what the outcome research is suggesting. And just because of the timing, we're, we're recording this the day that registration for the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference was announced. Hmm. And I went three years ago and I absolutely loved it. It was eye-opening for me. But I was looking at the speakers and it's literally the same people in 2020. And I will go and I will love it because it's incredibly stimulating and exciting. But it's in a lot of ways the same ideas, the same people. And a lot of these ideas exist in a failed paradigm that you know you just learn these theories. There are right theories for right problems and you get better over time. And it all fits into a puzzle that hasn't actually made our field better in decades. And there is something inherently problematic about that. And I find it troubling when the people who are guiding us don't have that information, because then how are you going to help us get better if you're doing the same things that aren't helping you get better? 
I, I would like to add onto that and maybe like add on to my my previously recorded answer. Um, <laughs> I I also like have had this very kind of whiplash weird experience in my program where some of my professors and it's generally the the full time like tenured professors will actually have great lectures and they will bring up, they will introduce concepts like deliberate, um, not deliberate practice. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about deliberate practice, but the idea of a routine outcome monitoring, say that came up in, in one of my classes and by a professor who's well, like very knowledgeable about it, didn't personally use it in her own practice, but introduced it to our class in a way that I thought was, was great, a great intro to the material. Maybe I was a little surprised that it took a year and a half of the program to finally get to that point, but it was great. And there have been a couple, I was fortunate enough to have Dr. Caldwell as a professor. So I don't, I don't mean to say that like my entire program is stuck in the past, but the reality I feel like I'm noticing of graduate education in our field is teaching is only sometimes a position that clinicians want. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's not a lot who are really like, yeah, I'm really, I'm excited to go into teaching. Those who are excited to go into teaching tend to be the ones who pursue tenure track positions. So the problem that I've had in my program has been with adjunct faculty, which has been hit or miss. I have one professor who is adjunct faculty. She's a practicing therapist. And I've actually been secretly wanting to ask her, why the hell do you also teach? Because I don't get it. But she goes above and beyond. She's a Amazing. She her research is for her for the curriculum is always up to date, incredibly updated PowerPoints. If somebody asks a question in class and she can't answer it, she will go back and amend her PowerPoint and send out revised slides a few days later. She's great. I have had the opposite experience with some other faculty. It literally seemed as though they showed up to class and accepted whatever curriculum had been department approved and sort of went through it, but also like if they didn't understand something because it was too new for them, they would just default to their old, literally, I mean, like, I can't tell you how much time we spent in my assessment class on the house tree person test. Um, <laughs> like, I cannot, I cannot. Kurt is like, like taking this weird deep breath. He's, he's like grabbing his, his eyebrows. He's, yeah, he's over here. Yeah, so that's, it's, that's been frustrating. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I'm having my reaction because I, I think you're giving too much credit to department approved curriculum because <laughs> I don't yeah, know I that that exists at every school and definitely not even at all of the schools that I've taught at. Wow. Before. Okay. I don't know why I keep getting the freedom that I do to teach the things that I want at the school that <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. But I bring a lot of the same content to my classes that we talk about on the podcast and it's funny when my students are like, yeah, I heard your podcast episode this week. You just did the same research to prepare for this class, didn't you? <laughs> it's like, efficiency. It's efficiency, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I, I have a lecture in my pre-practicum class about therapeutic alliance and getting into the research around all of this. And it's great when I get my end of the semester evaluations and people are like, 
that lecture ruined the two theory classes that I was taking at the same <laughs> time. Like, my motivation just dropped. It sucked the air out of the entire semester. I, I so appreciate that you talk about these things, though, because yeah. if people don't talk about them, it doesn't mean that they go away. And, I mean, there's... Carrie, when you were talking, I was thinking of the fact that there's there's no research to suggest that graduate school makes you a better therapist. Mm -hmm. There's no research to suggest that supervision makes you a better therapist. And, and if we ignore this, it doesn't mean that it's suddenly going to make us better. Mm -hmm. It means that we're just going to repeat the same things that keep our field at a plateau. Mm -hmm. And Ben Caldwell's ears are burning right the second. <laughs> he's driving in his car someplace, and he's just shouting out through me. We, we have this telepathic connection yeah, saying that increasing the number of credits for the, gr the grad programs doesn't make people any better either. And he does have research that goes back to at least the 80s that suggests that we're no better as therapists in our training, even going back to that time, while we continue to add more classes. Right. I do want to pivot here a little bit. You're getting a lot of good feedback. What kind of pushback are you getting entering into this space and challenging the status quo? So when Carrie and I started out, we, we kind of had this assumption that we were going to get very polarized feedback, that some people would love what we're doing and others would tell us we shouldn't do it and it represents the field poorly. And I think we've both been incredibly shocked at how little negative feedback we've gotten around the general idea of our podcast. So we've gotten some, you know, some criticisms about kind of the way we talk about certain subjects. The content, the content right. of the podcast, we like had, the way it has been finished. <laughs> we had a lot of people that uh, actually not so subtly suggested we needed to change our logo after our first couple episodes oh because it was one of the Rorschach cards. And that violated the test integrity, so we we were happy to do that. Um, <laughs> Which I still don't know why we didn't double down on that, but whatever. I was overruled. <laughs> we have not gotten, I think, like a single. Con I mean, we get multiple emails a week, and not a single one of them has said you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. It reflects poorly on us as therapists. And granted, there is a self selection bias that people who listen and take the time to respond are not likely going to be those who are very much against the idea. But what Carrie and I talk about is research. What Carrie and I talk about is the experiences that our guests are sharing of like their own experience as a client in therapy, or we'll bring on expert guests to share their opinions about the client's story. It's really hard to say that what we're doing is somehow flawed when Carrie and I recognize that we are trainees. We don't do a ton of editorializing. I don't think it's easy to look at what we're doing and find ways to criticize the theme of it because we're not trying to create new knowledge and say we know more than other people. We're trying to shine a spotlight on things that don't get looked at in our field that we feel that it should. And I've been so heartened by the response we've gotten, not just from therapists, not just from clients. We've had professors, we've had department chairs, we've had people from all around the world write in and say, I'm so glad that somebody is doing this, that somebody is looking at the other 50% of clients and seeing what's going wrong when therapy doesn't actually help. Carrie, you look like you really want to say I something. I do. And I want to go back. This goes back to Kurt's point about like, I think still it's generous being master therapist before your therapists. But the thing that we really expected that we would hear is how dare you, your, your students, like how could you <laughs> even think that you have anything to say or have a right to like set up a podcast around the idea of therapy in the first place. And we've been shocked that we haven't gotten that at all. And I think that like for me, that just underscores and like what I would like to tell other baby therapists, like other newcomers to the field, like 
you may be afraid, you may you may get this sense from the status quo that your voice isn't invited because it's brand new. But the truth is like, you are bringing your entire humanity, your whole personhood before you entered into this field to the field. And that turns out like that's what's important in this field, uh, ultimately. And if you have something, if you have a question, if there's something that's interesting to you, chances are probably pretty good there's somebody else in the field who is also interested by it or also has the same question. And it doesn't matter where you are in your career journey. And you may be intimidated by the idea of maybe standing up and saying something before the the status quo has said, here, you have your XYZ credential. This is, you are now allowed to speak. But Ben and I have not gotten slaps on the wrist from anybody because we lack experience and shouldn't be talking about these things. So that's what I just want to say. Like, we tried it and we're we're not, no one's telling us to sit down and shut up yet. So I would like to encourage others to do that. I think the thing that I'm really hearing is that you guys are very thoughtful about how you present it and have have done the thing that I think Kurt and I really value, which is innovating, but still really making sure that you stay grounded in laws, ethics, clinical excellence. And so when you talk about the research that you're doing, when you talk about that, you're not editorializing, I think to me, that's so important, because I think there are times and I actually just was listening to the NPR podcast, Hidden Brain, and they were talking about screaming into the void, and how, you know, kind of when you get indignant, or righteous, or or upset, and, and, you know, kind of the stuff that happens that we speak out, and we're saying, this is horrible, this is outrageous that it's it's kind of doesn't really necessarily cause change. And so when you're when you're in this place where you're saying this is kind of messed up, but you're also talking about the research and you're able to ground it in in the truth. <laughs> you know, the kind of the, as as objective truth as we can get, I think that helps because it it really looks at it very thoughtfully. It makes sure that when we're when we're looking at these things that are you know, when we're challenging mythology, when we're when we're looking at those things, I think when we're able to do it from a place where we can, we know that we've kept our side of the street clean, we mm-hmm. know that we've done everything mm-hmm. that we need to do, we can really stand up and do that. To that end, I'm really curious about the folks that did have comments on your content. Like, what were the types of things? What was that feedback that you got back? We've gotten some various. It dep- depends on the context. It started out with the logo. Uh, people didn't like that. So then we there were points at which we were posting originally like in the Facebook groups and for me this was a big deal like a discussion would start around something on on the show and I wouldn't and Ben wouldn't have the time to engage give that discussion the the time it deserved or the like thought process it deserved. <laughs> and so we've kind of stopped trying to like have conversations in Facebook groups right now. But uh, th- there was a, a problem as somebody took issue with the fact that we had a person of color on the show to talk about their experience and we didn't compensate them for their time. So that was an issue that came up. Mm-hmm. We've had some feedback. We talked about it on the show a few episodes ago about uh, someone felt that we were at times too flippant. It was That wasn't their word. That was my word. What was their word? Um, I can't remember. Ben can't either right now. Uh, there, uh, it, it was uh, that we that we took so, some things too lightly. It seemed as though we were taking some subjects too lightly. And then let's see what else. I think it's important to note that Carrie and I make a lot of mistakes, and we do things that can bother people. And we're dealing in lots of vulnerability, and we're saying things that can evoke strong feelings and bother people in the field. And 
sometimes we do those things poorly. We're not trying to not make mistakes. We're trying to be transparent that when we make mistakes, we will hold ourselves accountable. So we've had numerous occasions where people have written in and said, this bothered me, especially I think it was our, our third episode where we had a guest who was black. And in my reflection of his experience that he was sharing, I had commented that it sounded like some of what he was saying was hyperbolic. And then I looked into the research and I realized that what he was saying was very real. I mean, of course it was real. It was his experience, but it reflected more than anything my own ignorance around themes of white supremacy and how I can show up in the room with my clients of color. And that was hugely important to get that feedback that Kyra was talking about that uh, we explored off air. And I, I hope we get to discuss it on air at some point, because that's another aspect of, I think, part of our work in the field that doesn't get addressed as much, which is when you make mistakes, not if, but when you make mistakes in therapy, to not be defensive, to be open to what your client says, or in our case, what our guests say, or what mm -hmm. our listeners say, because we're going to mess up probably every episode, probably every session mm -hmm. with clients. And the answer isn't be perfect, or don't listen to the feedback, or find ways that your clients or your guests or whomever is coming from a place that you don't have to validate. Like the the answer is to listen and not be defensive and learn and grow yeah. as therapist, as podcast host. And we welcome, I get more excited when we get critical feedback than feedback that says, we love your show. Everything's great. The biggest theme that I think we've walked away from, from our guests on the show has been that like what is perceived to be bad therapy generally happens, usually happens when the therapist in some way gets defensive about something and won't make it right with the client or can't make it right with the client. Or doesn't create an environment in which the client yes. can feel like it's okay to say something. And right. uh, just to add to that point, we have been shocked at how common of a theme it is where our guests will say, I thought it was me. I thought I was crazy. Right. And that's not just clients who aren't therapists themselves. We've had guests on the show who are also therapists who also felt like it was them. They must have done something wrong if therapy felt so bad to them, right. if they felt so put off and judged and invalidated. Because there's this idea that therapists always know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. We we don't know what we're doing. We we do our best in session to attune to our clients and constantly recalibrate with them. But it, it's our responsibility to let our clients know that if mistakes happen, they can talk to us about it. Yeah. And what we find time after time on our show is our guests will say, it took me weeks, it took me months, it took me years to look back and say, I did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is my biggest problem with the grad school status quo, is that there is this implicit like thing from the beginning you start that says the goal is to be a, a error-free therapist. Eventually, you're going to gonna get to the point where you're, you do this right, quote unquote. And so I think it it inculcates new therapists it it like infects us with this um terror that like oh, i don't know what i'm doing and that's really bad and someday i'll know what i'm doing and i can't wait till i get there and the reality is there is no doing it right there is only figuring it out as you go yes it is important that we learn all of these things to keep our clients safe and to not cause harm but I personally, this is like a, a soapbox for me is like, I hate this idea of like perfectionism. That's what we need to get over is this idea of, we absolutely, I think that there, that starting from the day one of graduate school, I think everyone, professors should be saying, you're going to make so many mistakes. It's okay. You're going to make mistakes with clients. It's okay. 
the thing is you need to be able to find out from your clients what those mistakes are. And you need to have the like, I don't know, ego integrity, the self-esteem, self-confidence, I don't know, to be able to take that feedback and keep going with the client. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm hearing is that the idea that if you go slow enough and that if you follow this course that you'll get to some place um, suggests that there can be perfect therapy. Mm -hmm. I know Kurt's railed against, you know, all of the videos of all the perfect, you know, therapy that happens and and now we have to learn and and mimic that and those kinds of things. But I think the piece that, that I'm hearing from you and it just it kind of crystallized for me in this moment is really having a, a way, and I think this is what I got from community mental health. So I think this is where I learned it, but a way to really identify how do I minimize the risk while still being present and doing the things I need to do. Because I think when you're in the the trenches, so to speak, there there's no thought that you're going to do perfect therapy. There's no thought that you're going to be anything but human because you're burned out. You're going into people's homes. You're driving on, well, at least here in LA traffic mm-hmm. to get somewhere and you're always continually running late. Like to me, it really became, it crystallized, like it's about minimizing risk mm-hmm. and maximizing joining. Mm-hmm. And in grad school, I don't think that's taught. I think it's like you will learn how to do this technique properly and you need to join. The relationship's most important, but if you do it right, then your clients will get better. And there's not really a, a, a sense of you're going to make mistakes and this is how you take care of that. This is how you do repair attempts. This is how you do those things. I think there's a passing nod to it, but I think there's such a fear and we could have a whole conversation about this, but such a fear of liability of risk and you're working under your supervisor's license and they have to minimize risk and we have to, you know, your clients could sue you and, and you just, you can't, you know, you can't take the blame. And it's like, Whoa, that's just so bad. It's, it's defensive therapy. <laughs> well, in, in addition to that, the way that we talk to each other is not this process and inviting sort of conversation between our educators, our supervisors, and even our colleagues. And so what happens even in a lot of the online discussions is it's how quickly can we make our point without adjusting for all of the variants that might go into something. And so what what the cycle of what the therapeutic community has really become is this research says this one little tiny thing. You know, th- this is this is taking everything down to what everybody can do, and I don't have a lot of time to write about it, so I'm going to make this into one sentence, and this is the absolute right thing for me, and therefore it must be right for you, that really shuts down a lot of this conversation as well. Yeah, and I think the, the most important voice in that conversation are, in, are our individual clients, and when we assume that we know what is best for them, we're making mistakes because our cognitive biases just trip us up left and right. And we don't even realize that we're making assumptions about the alliance, about their progress, et cetera, that can be wildly unhinged from their actual experience. And so creating space in the room with each client to understand their experience is just an absolutely necessary step when you look at the outcome research to make sure that you're protecting yourself from making the mistakes that I think we don't necessarily even realize we're making on a daily basis. Thank you so much for being here with us today, uh, Ben and Carrie from the Very Bad Therapy Podcast. Where can people find you online? We have our website is verybadtherapy.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page also. You can hit us up there. And you can also email us directly at vbtpodcast at gmail.com. 
And we'll include links to all of that in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And Ben brought up that other little gathering of therapists that's going to happen down the road from with all us. The same with, all, with all the same year. people. They're all wonderful, Maybe as are your sure. speakers. <laughs> but we got our own shindig going on here at the end of September in Universal City. And you can find out more about that on our website. You can dance around there. You can join our Facebook community, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Ben Feynman, and Carrie Wieda. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.